I'm Nikki. And I'm Kirtana. And you're listening to The Chat Room. Hey, you want to hear something funny? No. (laughs) Okay, bye. (laughs) Can you, like, imagine, though, like, the power move of just saying no? I had a friend in New York who did that. I think it's such a power move. I wish I could do it, but obviously I'm lying. Like, I want to hear the funny thing that you (laughs) want to say to me. I'm just... Uh, It's not a story, but it's just a, a funny thing, which is, guess who has gone down TikTok spirals recently? Finally. Have you, have you really never before? I really haven't. I mean, I'm more of a reels girl, but. I know, I know. But I would be a nothing girl if I could. And the only reason they got me is because they pop up on freaking YouTube now. How does that even show up on YouTube? Is it just like, I don't know. They come know. up as shorts. If it were up to me, I would have none of it. I don't want to know about new apps. You know what I miss? Listening to the radio. Yeah, I freaking love the radio. Did you ever listen to Ryan's Roses? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Ryan's Roses. Honestly, where are the rights? I just don't understand how people kept falling for this shit. But basically, it's a segment of Ryan Seacrest's morning podcast or podcast morning um, radio show where he he'll like call a woman who thinks or someone who thinks that their spouse is cheating on them. And then he'll call that person pretending to like so give a free so. rose delivery. And that guy will sometimes send it to like the different girl that he's seeing and then they merge all the calls together and, like, and then you trap them. Yeah. You trap them. <laughs> right. But you know, I honestly would just sit in front of a radio these days and I would be perfectly fine with it. Especially if it's the show from our guest this week, Ashanti Omkar. Ashanti is a freelance film, TV and streaming services critic broadcaster, curator, film programmer, cultural consultant, and writer available for commentary and commissions. Oh my God, I feel like I'm underwater eating tape breath. (laughs) He specializes in representation matters, diversity, inclusion, and visibility in pop culture. Often seen and heard on BBC TV, ITV, Channel 5, various BBC radio stations, Times Radio, just to name a few. And she also contributes to Time Out London, Total Film Magazine, The Big Issue, Eater London, Metro, Guardian, The Independent with op-eds, interviews, reviews, and features. Oh, my God. Take a few breaths. Take a few breaths. <laughs> Making me feel hella underaccomplished. My God. She was also the first South Asian UK critic, circle film, and music member, and a Brits Bifa Sundance London voter. Good gravy. Is she doing enough? <laughs> <laughs> she made history on BBC Sounds with her own radio show for seven years. Curating music and presenting interviews with Will I Am about culture, Idris Elba, double Grammy and Oscar winner A.R. Eman, director Gurinder Chadda, Priyanka Chopra Jonas about her latest projects, Radhika Apte on mental health, S.S. Rajamoli, the one and only, on his blockbuster Bahubali franchise and RRR, plus deep dives into film, music, and South Asian and diasporic culture. I mean, I I did this for a while, and I don't think I ever met anyone who is as passionate about representation and spotlighting their culture and their heritage and their identity more than Ashanti. I, I agree. And I think our previous guest, Bash, said this in his episode. I think across the board, doesn't matter what form of media you work in, you need to have 
your taste curated, like your own personal taste. And it is so clear that she has done that. And not only has she done that, she's done that in a field where that is quite literally the job, you know, she has to curate this taste and this opinion that people seek and want and um, value. And that's like, that's, you're in it for the long game. Like that doesn't happen in one, two, three, four, five years, even, you know, you really have to put in the work. A hundred percent. And it's not just readers who are valuing her taste. It's clearly also companies and organizations because to be a voter and to be able to be in those circles where you're actually providing accolades and uh, recognition for other people's work, that's such an achievement. Ashanti for president. Ashanti for president. Ashanti for Congress. Ashanti for, well, she's British. Ashanti for parliament. Ashanti, don't. Don't work there. Don't work in government. Start your own thing and then tell us when to come. Yes, that. (laughs) Can you walk me through your artwork? Like what? Because this looks stunning. What is going on? This is from Life of Pi. Um, You know, at the beginning of the film, um, Pi is from Pondicherry. Right. Which is in South India. And this is actually a still from when they did the premiere in London. And they allowed me to take one home. So... It's beautiful. I mean, that's my fridge. So we just have very different backgrounds right now. I have nothing on the wall right now because I'm in my it's nice and clean. I'm in my parent yeah, I'm in my parents' house in the room that is usually reserved for my sister when she comes to visit. And I did they had one thing on the wall, which was um, have you ever seen those those pictures where it's like um, it documents the your years of growth, but in your school, oh, yeah. in school picture form. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. There I'm, are so I- many of those in my house that it looks like I've died. Like right. it literally looks like yes. this is in memoriam of our daughter because there's so many pictures of her on the wall. Oh my God. <laughs> well, well, let's get into it. So obviously I found you on Instagram and I just found your Instagram so fascinating because to be quite honest, I didn't know what you did. Like you were doing so much yeah. that I was just, even when I sent your Instagram to Kirtan and we were talking about, I was like, we have to have this person on. And she's like, yes, we need to also have this person on. But what, what did she do? Like there's so much happening on this page. And so I have to ask as the first question, I can't imagine I'm the first person to think that like speaking to you. What do you say that you do? Let's just get that out of the way. So so I've now got to a point where I've distilled it to being a film and TV critic and broadcaster. So small and succinct. It's really nice and easy. And people can chop off the broadcaster if they need to and just say film and TV critic, which will be nice and easy. But you are absolutely right. It has been that, that type of weird career. For me, I kind of fell into media as in, I was, you know, working in tech and Silicon Valley, though I didn't oh. work in Silicon Valley, I was working for Oracle and SAP, who, you oh, know, yeah. business objects who are now owned by SAP. And, you know, I worked for Pepsi Cola and I worked for the Hilton Group. So wow. I was doing that. Wow. And I was just this person who was passionate about movies and music and, you know, didn't ever think I could do it because you know, our parents don't really encourage us into going into the creative field. They don't really get it normally. And, um, you know, it turns out that my uh, great aunt was a broadcaster in Sri Lanka. So in some ways, it was something I should have um, thought about 
but I didn't because yeah. you know, everybody said, your dad has a PhD in maths. You need to be a mathematician. And, you know, I even ended up at uni doing mathematics, you know, in year one with computer science. And then I realized this is not for me. <laughs> yeah. Is just not for me. Sitting in this basement doing this stuff is not for me. So I, I luckily was able to shift my course and I ended up with a degree in marketing and management with computer science. But I went to a seminar and an editor of a magazine sat next to me and she said, what are you doing here? It was actually a black music seminar. And there I was, wow. the one Asian and the other Asian was Rishi Rich. And he was speaking on stage. I'd heard he was there and I wow. thought, let's go. I want to support. But I also want to hear what's happening in the industry. And that's when she said to me, wow, you're so you're here because you love music. You've learned music because I'd learned Carnatic music and to a degree, a lot of Western kind of classical music and a lot of modern stuff. You know, I'd sung kind of the Whitney Houston type songs growing up. So she kind of said, why don't you write a column for me? And uh, she said, what? I didn't think of a title. Yes, oh. I know this was, she was, she ran a reggae magazine. So my journey has been Dope. totally like insane. We could, we should like have a bingo card, Kirtana, of all <laughs> the careers in the world. And every time she lists one, we can like cross it off and then whoever gets bingo first wins a prize. <laughs> I don't even think I would have like column at a reggae magazine on that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like reverse so bingo. We get when we listen to this again, we're gonna do reverse bingo. You can then do a bingo. This <laughs> yeah, wow. You, the way now you put it like this, I'm I'm thinking harder. But yeah. Um, <laughs> like what else have I done? I've assisted at my mom's nursery when when I was younger. So I've done lots of lots of things. There but you go. I guess, you know, immigrant parents just have this work ethic. And for my parents, yeah. they you know, my we lived on university campuses, but you know, I I was I, I had a very kind of in that sense, very normal childhood in Nigeria. But then, you know, the war happened in Sri Lanka. We couldn't come back, you know, we couldn't mm. go back to the house. My parents painstakingly built with every kind of penny they could save, they put into that house. So we had no place to go back to. So we we came and settled in the UK. And again, you know, my parents had to up to an extent you know, it's the hustling life. I think we do it as mm -hmm. when we're in media, we do it every day because that's that is our life. But, yeah. you know, back then when people were having their nine to fives and people were doctors and engineers and lawyers and accountants, you know, my dad decided he wanted to go into tech because he said he was done with his his time as a mathematician and a lecturer at university. So it was interesting. My mom ran her own nursery school and I kind of went to school and I, I was this pop music head. All I did was read, we had a magazine called Smash Hits and I would just read that. I'd have posters all over my walls. I would be this football supporter <laughs> for Liverpool Football Club. And I was this kind of kid who was trying to find myself and to understand my identity because I didn't speak any Tamil. Growing up, though my parents spoke to me in Tamil, I refused to speak it. I, as far yeah. as I was concerned, and so you know, I kind of was that child who didn't really embrace the culture as much, but went to music classes because my parents uh, thought I could sing, and it turned out out I could. I also tried Bharatanatyam, but uh, I was kicked out. Um, I just <laughs> okay. You for to to be clear, you could not check that off on the bingo card. She, she no. did not. She did not. Hundred percent. Hundred dancer. Not on the. Got it. Not on the. Not on the card. My husband will testify to my lack of dancing skills. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I I guess for me, 
I my my path that was set for me was to do something that was similar to what my parents did. And I mm. guess I never wanted to work in schools and be a teacher. But, you know, I think the mathematics and the, the tech was was what was perhaps expected of me. But at the same time, to be very honest, and I'm sure you've both gone through this, you're expected to be a doctor. Let's be honest, anyone who's not a doctor is slightly, you know, below on that rung, right? The career rung. Have you yeah. both faced this? <laughs> yeah, oh, 100%. I was neuroscience, clearly not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you're using it to better the world. That's that what is I'd true. I was like, again. oh, brain, mental health, also brain what do we do when we are feeling make, bad make we watch cinema. tv and movies absolutely there you it know. is there's a line there's a line you can yeah. draw there 100 percent. i kind of began my journey though writing a lot more about music and a little bit about music a little bit about movies because in india obviously movies and music go together and there, there wasn't much of a pop scene back in the day mm-hmm. so people like Rishi rich were the few people who were doing a pop pop music type thing sure and you know again Rishi is trying to find his identity because can he break through in the charts in the UK will India accept him etc etc and he's kind of navigated his way same goes for Jay Sean because in Mm -hmm. my early days those are sort of people I spoke to a lot and I used to go to Rishi's studio which was down the road from me uh, just to go and say hi to them and and kind of hang out with them and it it was it was one of those early early kind of stages where Bombay Dreams had just come out Mm -hmm. and there was this visibility on Bollywood and I had grown up with South Indian cinema but also had watched a lot of Hindi films and I'd also you know my diet was also very much Hollywood based and Mm -hmm. I kind of in early days put myself into that little niche I stuck myself in that box saying I'm brown I will do only brown things yeah and I guess the biggest change for me in the last year since leaving Asian Network was to say actually I'm so much bigger than this and when the critic circle the film critic circle came in and invited me I was like you know what and they would say to me why aren't you at the screenings and I'd say oh I'm I'm just going to Cineworld to see the (laughs) see these films and they were like but the critics sees the screenings means you'll see them earlier da 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 and I, I, once I started going, I was completely addicted to going to those screenings as they were, like everybody else in the in the industry was doing. And, you know, for me, I, I think it's taken me a while to get to this stage where I can confidently say to you, I'm a film and TV critic, because yeah, I guess there's that imposter syndrome a lot of us find right. when we're a brown person in a very white world, because quite often in that you're, you're you know, you're in the box because... One, you put yourself in the box. Two, everybody else has put you, put, you, put you into that box. Right. You know, and in the world of cinema, it's still, you know, just like there's a gender imbalance, there's very much an imbalance when it comes to representation. And this is something I know all three of us are fighting at all, all points in our lives. Yeah. And it's great to be able to make that change. And that change is happening. I, I guess the change really started in the US because, you know, you started off with films like American Born, Born, uh, you know, Desi, ABCD. Oh to... my God, forgot about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, when that came out, those of us in the UK were getting it out on DVD to watch it because we thought, wow, somebody's made a movie about people like us in the diaspora. We didn't have that. That's so interesting that you say that, because I always think when I think of like 
representation, I think of like East is East and, you know, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like I, like yeah. I, Ayub Khan, like that's what I think of, which is so deeply yes. British, you know? Yes. And, yes. and then obviously bend it like Beckham, which was mm-hmm. a little bit later, but that's like what, you know, that's what I think of as like, Same. they were doing it way before we were. Well, yeah, I mean, there was like, we had, you're right, East is East, is East. we had Gurinder Chatter's, um, you know, Bajja on the Beach, which yeah. again, but, you know, when you think about it, Mississippi Masala came out 30 years ago. Right. Yeah. You know, so America was leading the way, I would say, in that sense, with, with this kind of cinema. And we just didn't, we just didn't get to see ourselves represented in, in any way or yeah. any way. Right. Or when we were represented, we were represented very badly. You're right. Ayud Khan Din, Din is probably one of the few people who got that representation spot on. Yeah. Everybody else tried to do it. I remember when Harold and Kumar came out, how yeah. I watched it two times because oh, yeah. I suddenly was like, oh, my God, this is this is the sort of cinema I want to see. I want to see mm-hmm. two guys who are normal not two mm-hmm. guys who are taxi drivers or I want to see people doing these roles and it just didn't exist for a long time and now I guess you know we're seeing all of this change and very recently the film Mr. Malcolm's List came out and again you know you're seeing Frida Pinto as a lady love to a black guy and you know that's 30 years after Mississippi Masala did it with Denzel and Sarita you know yeah, we have true. waited that long yeah. You know, but going back, sorry, I have digressed. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. You answered you. like 10 you, questions. Exactly. Like one thing. I'm like, right. great, keep going. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> About what, what, and what, what I do, uh, the, the reason why I'm now, as I mentioned, uh, you know, film and TV critic is that that is what I've chosen to do. I want to find points of represent, representation in, in cinema and when it's done well to highlight it, and when it's not done well to call it out, mm-hmm. and where possible to, you know, to to reflect on that. And finally, I would say after years of trying, people are accepting that this is an important thing in life. It's important yeah. for the cultural growth of all the industries. The film industry knows there's a deficit in terms of levels of representation and slowly it's being fixed and I'm glad that the three of us here and that's why I reached out to both of you because I thought here you are fighting for that change you know and it's so important well we appreciate you because I I I really I really feel you when you say like you felt like you had to kind of start in that bucket of like look I'm the brown reporter I'm this because I I went to school for journalism that's what I did for the first couple of years of my career before I switched and that's very much how I felt a lot. Yeah. It can be really hard to make a point that hasn't already been made unless you angle it in such a way that is like specific to not just you, but you, your culture, your, your, your something, right? Yeah. And so it does feel like you have a bit of a pressure sometimes of like, oh, well, you know, I am South Asian. I do love Bollywood. I do love, you know, South Indian, you know, whatever. Yes. And, and so you, you kind of, you kind of get your way in there and then you're like, but also look at all these other things I can talk about. hundred percent. It's a hard one because we are still a minority within a minority. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, as a freelancer myself, you know, nowadays 
I'm there pitching, I'm there, you know, somebody might call me suddenly and say, we'd like you to talk about, I don't know. Luckily for me, recently it's been, we'd like you to talk about Coda. We'd like you to talk about Will Smith and the slap. We'd like you to talk about mm -hmm. Top Gun, you know, and I'm really happy that that is happening, but it has taken a long time and a lot of fighting, but yeah. equally yeah. fighting for South India, for example, because I come from a Tamil background, my parents, you know, that my ancestors are from Sri Lanka and just getting South Indian music played on the BBC, for example, it didn't happen. So for 13 yeah. years I was fighting and then I was given my own show to showcase that. But once I was in it in early years, I loved it because I got to represent something that wasn't being represented. But as time went on, I kept being pulled deeper into only South India. So I, it started to grate on me after a while. And I started feeling like I was in a jail. And right. I felt like, but I'm going to see all these movies. I've been invited into the critic circle, surely. You know, and, and most recently now I've been invited into, into BAFTA. And I'm sitting there going, surely, it should be okay for somebody who's my 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 shade and tone and sounds like me to also be able to watch all the films and and talk about them or vote for them and you know i i did this piece for the bbc they'd invited me on to talk about the golden globes and the lack of diversity there and right. you yeah. know I, I you know and i i know why they picked me because they they had to pick somebody of color to speak about it so that yeah. they could convey yeah. that message that there was a big deficit but it is what it is and I guess we all need to just keep keep grinding and working to to build that up and I truly believe that things are changing just because you know looking at Never Have I Ever and the number of hours it's been watched for yeah. each of those seasons and yeah. Bridgerton and Squid Game yeah, yeah. When I, when I read about TV critics, I always wonder how do they get their own credibility? Like, how do they even put themselves in a position where you're getting invited to these things? People want you to speak about these things. And for people who want to do that, do you feel like the step is to just do the thing, like start their own blog and start writing about stuff? Or how do they build up the credibility for people to value their opinion? So yes, 100%, the blog really helps. For me, when I was writing for Asian newspapers, I used to get permission to actually post them on my blog. So oh, wow. that bought me a lot of SEO, you know, search engine optimization was happening because I'd written about MIA, for example, mm -hmm. or Chada, and that would show up on the SEO and people started knowing that I existed. Yeah. So that was great. And of course, I mean, back in the day, we didn't have the ability to podcast from home. So yeah. I um, I don't know if you know the, the team that used to be behind Desi Hits, but Anjula Acharya Bath, who mm -hmm. looks after Priyanka Chopra, mm -hmm. she and her, her husband, uh, Ranj, had started Desi Hits back in the day. And I was one of the first Apple podcasters because they worked with Jimmy Iwine to actually mm. create this and put it straight onto Apple, actually, you know, so it right. was part of Apple's own offering and it was a South Asian offering called Desi Hits. And it was really interesting because back then we needed to, we needed a studio in order to create the shows. Yeah. Whereas when the pandemic happened, I could create my entire radio show sitting in my living room because I could curate the music. 
I could send it on to somebody who had the right system. I could record all my links. So I would say nobody should stop themselves from actually doing that. Build your own podcast, get yeah. into blogging, talk about films. And, you know, I would say, again, one of the most valued things these days is being an influencer. And, you know, people kind of squirm at that word. But, you know, and I've seen influencers who are really good and really lovely. And on the other hand, who are also not very nice, who've got agents who are very difficult because yeah. they are now, you know, celebs and they have millions of views on, on their pages. But what's really interesting to me is that they will get invited to these events because they have the numbers and them turning yeah. up an event can make a difference. So I always say to people, if there's something you're really interested in, nothing stops you from recording blogs. Yeah, it is the way to do it because it's how you can get people's attention that you are taking up that space because you have something to say. Yeah. But then becoming an actual critic is a bit different because that's when you report to editors. And right. you know, when you do that, it's a different level because your editor has a very, very, you know, very stringent set of criteria that you have to meet. Your editor has yeah. house rules. Your editor has all these different things. So that becomes a different ball game completely because, you know, at the BBC, I learned, I would say, the most in that uh, in that aspect, because I started broadcasting with them uh, around 2011. And prior to that, I was going on like as a guest onto shows, but I started doing almost weekly broadcasts with them where I was talking about film. And that was really interesting because there were constraints, like you can't mention certain like brands. So if, if you're talking about an Apple iPad, mm -hmm. you won't say Apple or iPad, you'll say a tablet. So there were lots of things like that that you had to yeah. ad adopt to so that you could work with them. And this is where, again, if you are an influencer, you don't have those rules because it's your page. You can do what you like with it. But then getting that credibility and getting a critic circle inviting you in because you have to be gainfully employed doing this as a full-time job in order for them to come and invite you in. And if you're not, then you won't be invited in. So... I think it's a two things. One is, yes, do your own thing. Make your voice out there. Secondly, go to editors, start pitching to them. It's really difficult. You'll get a lot of knockbacks. Many, many a time, no one will reply to you. And it, it, you know, it really hurts because you put all this time and effort into a pitch. But, you know, until they start coming to you, it's something you need to do and you can't avoid it. Yeah, I would. I have to say, this is where my tech background helped. Yeah. Because I always had a digital footprint mm. that allowed people. So even in my tech days, I was for nearly every one of my jobs, apart from my first two or three roles in early days, I was headhunted because I was on the right databases. I had a yeah. digital footprint and people could find me. And yeah. this is something that I always say, make yourself discoverable. Don't put your, like, if you want to be found, you know, not everybody wants to be found, but if this is what you want to do, especially if you want to be someone in media, you need to, to turn off those privacy settings and only show people what you want them to show. So, you know, have a Finster account, you know, have something fake for your own family <laughs> and friends if you want. Because if you're, you, you know, you can't want to do media and also be really shy about getting online because mm -hmm. nowadays right. it is imperative. Yeah, 100%. I know one thing that we're really interested in hearing about is kind of what 
the logistics looks like for you on a day-to-day basis? Obviously, you know, being a freelancer versus, you know, working exclusively somewhere or having your own show can be very different ventures. But right now, what does your day-to-day look like? So my day-to-day involves a lot of reading, keeping up with the industry. My day-to-day involves talking to a lot of editors and producers. So producers of shows, editors who might be, you know, an editor of a magazine, for example, sitting down and prepping different. So a lot of it is watching. So when I say watching, I mean watching a lot of television, watching a lot Mm -hmm. of uh, movies, because on one hand, I'm voting. Yeah in film juries, I'm voting at the BAFTAs, the BFAs, the Critics Circle Awards, etc. So that also takes up a certain amount of time. So most of my evenings, especially Monday to Thursday, most evenings will be with me going to a screening. And sometimes there'll be an afternoon screening, sometimes there'll be a morning screening. And it's very changeable, which is why when I make dates with people, I'll say to them, I will let you know on the Monday, once my week has unfolded yeah. and sometimes you can get last last minute so during the winter season when the award season is really pumping this is when you will be told on a Monday that there's a screening on Tuesday that you know you need to watch for the awards so there are lots of things I have to be really really flexible mm-hmm. but at the same time I like to try and find some kind of balance make sure I'm eating at the right times etc because otherwise this can it can suck you into that 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 void but but viewing viewing is number one so having watched something matters a lot whether it's at a festival whether it's on a screening link or whether it's at a physical screening that's really really important it's so funny because I just have to I just have to say one quick thing which I my dad makes fun of me constantly because I'm, I'll be like, Oh, I'm watching something. He's like, yeah, sure. You're I'm like, no, I'm watching something for work. He's like, sure. Your work is just you sitting around watching film and TV shows all day. You're going to a movie theater. It's work watching this new TV show on your computer for eight hours a day is work. I'm like, but it is because you're saying this. I'm like, see, I'm going to like point out this portion of the episode and just go here. I'm not the only (laughs) <laughs> oh gosh no you me and just at the UK critic circle there's like 180 of us who do this almost on a daily basis exactly <laughs> and it's it's essential because you know our knowledge is from what we're watching and what yeah. we're taking away from what we're watching and it's so essential but people do say they're like oh you're so lucky you're watching things I'm like actually sitting in a dark cinema room you know, for so many hours a day is yeah. not as fun as you think. I mean, yes, uh, I am yeah. about totally. what I do, you know, but yeah, sometimes you need a break and sometimes you're watching films that are so bleak. I think that's probably why a lot of us are hugely into Marvel because they give you comedy, they give you action, mm-hmm. they give yeah. you all sorts of bits that kind of make it so, so, so damn entertaining. Yeah, mine is uh, Bob's Burgers. It's the best show. I love it so much. And I'm literally cooking my way through the cookbook right now. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> well, I mean, you work in a lot of different mediums. So I think, you know, another thing that we're we're always really curious about is like when someone has to work in so many different uh, fields or mediums, what do you find is challenging about that, if anything? It is a change. So you have to flip yeah. from being a broadcaster to being a writer to being a podcaster. So there's a different tone each time, for example. Mm. 
And when writing, uh, there's house styles that you have to try and follow. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. can be, you know, th- that can be a bit of a challenge. I'm not going to lie, but it's something that you just have to do and have to work with editors. And it comes with, you know, with with experience, I would say. And the same goes for, you know, when I got my radio show at the BBC, I'd never written a desk, which means that I couldn't use, when I went into the studio and had to suddenly, you know, push all the buttons to make make the show happen, I had to be trained from scratch. And yeah. from somebody who had never done it, I went to broadcasting to, you know, thousands of people with only like about two weeks of like, and I had barely, I had maybe two studio sessions and that's all I had. And I had to go up there and do it. And I was so nervous, you know, it was incredibly difficult, but you know, it took me maybe one month or so to get into it. And once you've done about four shows live, the thing is, it's like a trial by fire. Live shows are the trial by fire because they will take you straight in. And then the rest of it, you have to just keep keep going with. But part of it is that if you're talking about stuff that you're passionate about, it comes. You yeah. will make yourself somehow learn it. I, I have to say that it wouldn't be the same if I was given a maths paper and told to suddenly do calculus or something. I yeah. I don't think I would suddenly learn that in, in two weeks. But when it comes to this, I had such a passion for radio. I really wanted to push out, you know, like fantastic music from Kerala, from Sri Lanka, from Tamil Nadu and from Telangana and Andhra, you know, and, and Karnataka. I was really into into that in such a big way that when it came down to the crux of it, I was able to do it. And same goes into the curating side of things and, yeah. and picking the right music, the right moods, working with different editors. But ultimately it's um, my life, my daily life is almost like probably making a movie because there's so many facets that come together. You have to look at your budgeting and your invoicing. You have to look at feeding yourself. You have to look at, yeah. Yeah. you know, how am I gonna look good on camera? somebody's just sent me an only murders in the building gift how am I going to turn that into content you know and and I have to say I'm probably more of a content creator than a lot of my fellow critics yeah so a lot of people who are film critics are probably not so they're probably focusing more on writing four reviews a day whereas I'm probably writing one review or doing one podcast and then doing content creation and again a lot of that just requires knowledge uh, a bit of skill obviously in in how to do these things because I mean I came from a magazine background which uh, helped uh, I mean I went from being in tech and playing with you know I, I guess everybody back in the day if you had access to a computer you'd play with like you know pick you know whatever picture processor or, or I don't know, Photoshop type stuff. And so you do that and you, you know, it was something that you like to do. And I was one of those people who liked to do it. I think for the younger generation, it's hard to understand all of that because everything that I used to do kind of on a manual basis, you have on your phone now. You don't need to do any of those things. But I kind of went through all of that. And I think that's given me kind of a good grounding to be able to be flexible, to move across Mm -hmm these different things and yes it it isn't difficult it, it isn't sorry it, it isn't difficult I was going to say it is difficult it isn't a, it isn't very easy to do and I still every time I'm going to go live on air I still have butterflies 
Yeah. That fight or flight, the adrenaline that you get from that is what pushes you towards yeah. sounding good on air, for example. And the same goes, you know, when it comes to writing, I have to say that certain types of writing come easier to me than others. So mm-hmm. writing a pitch for me is easier than writing an article. And, you know, I've always sat there thinking, I ultimately need to write some, I've got to create some IP for myself because I wanted to tell this story in you know in the form of a film or a tv series i've just not sat down and done it and sometimes you need the right kind of writing partner to do it etc you know going to to a premiere is only one part of you know what should be a much bigger legacy to leave behind and because i've i've struggled with two chronic health conditions endometriosis and asthma um for me leaving a legacy and because I can't have children and for me it's like what do I do now as my legacy it's nice to be a critic it's nice to be a broadcaster it's nice to do all these things but my legacy needs to be some kind of strong strong IP where I'm sharing something that can help others or be a path for others because that that it'll be good to be able to map that out for somebody else to to try and follow in some way no, for sure. And uh, that's so beautiful. I just, and it's true. I think about that all the time. And it's an amazing footprint to leave in like your cultural legacy. Like it's not, your legacy doesn't have to be like this physical manifestation of a, of a human. 100%. Yeah. I've been, I think since I, I, I mean, I had to have a hysterectomy for my endometriosis. It had got to stage four and mm. that, that was my only option really. And honestly, that's what, when, a big it was a big life shift for me because mm-hmm. it suddenly hit you you're thinking in the lead up to this this surgery and you're thinking after the surgery that's it no I'm not going to have a biological child so what do I do next and I think that's pushed me like I've like run a supper club I've you know that had Kerala and Sri Lankan food I've done so I, I pushed myself to do other things because suddenly you're trying to fill that void yeah yeah that's so amazing. I, I want to go back really quickly to when you were talking about uh, pitching and meeting with editors and all that stuff. And I'm wondering how, first of all, if, for people who don't know, just like the basics of what a pitch looks like, if you're given that opportunity to talk to an editor, and then also in your experience, what is not an easy way, but a, a, a beginner's path to trying to find the time with those people. Right. So this is, this is a million dollar question in that sense, because yeah. a pitch to any editor is just like pitching Kevin Feige. It's one of those where you don't know when an ed- editor will actually like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And you don't know when you'll make a piece of content that the world will like and it turns into a meme and people might talk about it for years. You don't know when you'll be a Kabe Lame who was a factory worker who was on TikTok gave like these weird stares at people as his, you know, reactions, didn't say a word, and then has become this huge, you know, huge megastar from from TikTok. You just don't know when these things will happen. So the the boldest thing you can do is to find, to do the research, identify who that editor is and start to to write to them. Because, you know, put the word pitch in your subject line, make sure it's well-written, that the English is really spot on, especially if you're going for a written pitch, 
But even if you're going for an audio pitch or a podcast pitch or whatever, that's really key that you're going to them with very good, good written, written word. Tell them who you are, first of all, because the amount of people who come to me and slide into my DMs where they get rejected because they think I should know who they are for a start. So they come to you saying, check this out. And I'm like, why should I check it out? Yeah, Why should yeah. I click on this link? What is the reason? Who are you? Who <laughs> right. are you? Like, yeah. I've never heard of you. You know, and I always assume, like, I even to date, when I go into a screening, I will introduce myself to the person at the desk. And they'll say, we know who you are. And I, I because it's polite to say, yeah. you know, do not assume that that person knows who you are. So always give them a little, at least a paragraph on yourself. Who are you? What do you do? What are your kind of accomplishments? And why are you, you know, worthy of writing this or broadcasting this? That's so essential. And it's something that I think many people just don't do. Yeah. And it's yeah. really sad. And the younger generation thinks, okay, I just send a DM and it should happen. And if it doesn't happen, they're dejected and they're like, oh, nobody's listening to me. But the truth is, actually, you have to do that work. You have yeah. to do that research, find somebody like the amount of people who come to me for stuff that I don't do and have never done. Right. I know yeah. I, I understand what you're saying, that it's confusing because it looks like I do all these things. So yeah. they're looking at my socials and they're not quite sure, but they'll come to me with stuff that I cannot, you know, I'm like, how can I magic up an answer to this? You should be doing the research and finding the right champion, not let's just go to the first brown person I see because yeah. I've made a piece of brown music. You know, mm -hmm. that's, you know, I've heard of her through a friend. So I'm going to write to her. It's like, no, don't write to me until you know what I'm doing right now. Because yeah. people's jobs and roles change constantly. Mine certainly have. You know, yeah. if somebody came to me about SAP now, <laughs> nothing yeah. I can do about it for them right. in, in 2022. But, you know, back in the day I could. So it's something I say that when it comes to these pitches, research 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 that totally. is what yeah you've got to know what that person does you can think about it if you're going to an Ava DuVernay what are you going to say to her that will make her say oh I'm interested not yeah yeah you know not not going to her with something so flimsy but having thought about it and refined it and made sure you're going to them when you are ready to to take that to them because quite a lot of it I feel is that so I, you know, would never say I, I was a reviewer. I had this thing that I'm not a reviewer. I'm not a critic. I hated putting myself forward as that, even though mm -hmm. that's what I was and that's what I was doing. You know, and truly I'm more of a champion, I would say, of film than than a critic in that sense, because I like to champion the the, the things that you know I'm interested in. So I like to champion Black Panther because I grew up in Africa. I like to champion. Yeah. I don't know, Mr. Malcolm's List, because there's a, an Asian interracial relationship there. I like to champion Bridgerton when there's a South Asian family. So I do pick those quite carefully in that sense. But at the same time, part of it is that, okay, I might, and sometimes they'll come to me with something like, they somehow somebody on television found out that I was a, as a child, I grew up watching Neighbours. And Neighbours mm -hmm. is an Australian soap that just got, cancelled actually after like so it did years. yeah oh wow that like, thing was on for like 40 years. years yes yes nearly 40 years so when when that happened I was really impressed that they found me from a picture I had posted of myself as a teenager with a Kylie Minogue poster in the backdrop 
and a neighborhood. Yeah. And wow. somebody has seen that. And I suppose the hashtag might have helped as well because I must have <laughs> hashtag neighbors. So when they did a search on Google, they found me. So part of it is to say, okay, let me one, be prepared. I always say success is where preparation meets, meets opportunity. I'm yeah. sure I'm not the first to have said that. Somebody else must have said it somewhere, maybe a Malcolm Glad Gladwell type person. But, you know, that for me has always stuck with me that it's all about me being prepared. You know, was I prepared when I got my degree to get a job at Oracle? I, I guess I was because they, they took me on. And at that point, right. I had done the work. I'd, but this is where I think that that is where it comes from. I was prepared. And then I got that job. And part of it is you're sitting there. And for me, Paolo Coelho's uh, The Alchemist, that really made a difference in my life because sometimes there are omens that say to you, you know, that you don't maybe notice. For sure. Like what happened to me at that urban music seminar, because I was in, a, in the lowest point of my life. I was in a bad relationship. My husband was violent. I, you know, I was not in a good place, but I woke up. I got myself out there to the seminar, sat in that front row. This woman sat next to me and literally she changed. When I think about it, she changed my life because she believed that I could do something because I, again, I was prepared because I was talking about everything in the Asian music scene and talking about Raghav and Jay Sean and their positions in the charts at the time. And she said, write me a column. So I always feel that this can happen to anyone. Oh, yeah. And we talk about that on the podcast a lot is the way this industry works is very often you just have to be prepared for luck to strike. But there's there are two sides to that, right? Like, yes, the luck will strike, but you have to be prepared so yeah, that I'm when it strikes, you can make the most of it. Um, so that doesn't mean just like wait to be lucky. You have to be knowledgeable on this. You have to want it bad enough. You have to oh, be God, vulnerable yeah. enough for it. And mm -hmm. and before we wrap up, I want to go back to what you were talking about sliding into the DMs because that is a very, very good point that you've made in terms of yeah. how the, the first impression you make with someone because you only have those five seconds that they're looking at your message to grab their attention. Something as little as just finding the, the connective tissue that you have with that person because you will. And if you don't, to your point, you probably shouldn't be messaging them because what's the connection here? What are you going to get out of this? Don't just message someone for the sake of the color of their skin. Hundred, hundred percent. Uh, you know, I always say that's why I I say to people do the research, and sometimes it's as simple as a Google search. Like people will oh, come yeah. and ask me something, yeah. and I, do I don't know if you remember there was a site called Let Me Google That for You, <laughs> where it'll show you no. everything. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I yeah. Well, and and you know, I always say there's no such thing as a stupid question, but I feel that there is that that thing where you can Google it first, have a look at what you can find online, and then you know, and then go to that yeah. person. So that you're going to them with some knowledge that you've gained. It's like I've looked at this and da 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 da. And then they know that you've understood this, this, and this, and therefore you've come to them for for another thing. And yeah. so th this is where you really need to think before you email. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, the other thing too, and, and, you know, Ashanti, tell me if this is something that you have also dealt with, but like, you know, I'll sometimes have people email me and just say, Hey, I want to talk to Alia Butt about her new movie. And I'm like, 
okay. Yeah, me too, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, me too. Sounds <laughs> I'd great. Love to. <laughs> yeah. Or it'll be like, I have a I have a pitch about interviewing Shafali Shah. I, I always find that, yes. you know, doing the work and everything is really great. But the other thing that's also super helpful too, if you have a connection to someone oh, that yes. you want to talk to or that you want to talk about or an like an angle in somehow. Yes. Instead of just like emailing someone and going, I want to interview Priyanka Chopra. Cool. So do 55,000 other people. <laughs> that doesn't really exactly. help us. <laughs> it doesn't. No, absolutely. No, I agree with all those points. I, I, I think that a lot of people just think, well, I've seen this magazine and I think that I can be a part of it. And that's how, how it all begins, right? They're very misguided by thinking I can be a part of it. But are you a part of it because you're bringing something to the table? And again, yeah. it's preparation. It's that 100% being prepared is so important. And even to date, you know, even though I've been doing this for like nearly two decades now, I prepare a lot before any, any radio slot, before anything. Because it's, you know, I could, I could probably talk about all of this without preparing, but having that preparation, it makes all the difference. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Ashanti, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I not only appreciate the the information that you gave and just like just painting a picture of the landscape to be honest because the broadcasting world I just I don't even know where to begin. I wouldn't even know where to to start looking stuff up. Um but also just about your personal life. I feel like I just learned a lot about you and where you come from and what has motivated you to pursue this path and that is even more inspiring to some degree because I'm sure there are people who have struggled with or or have had to endure the same things and don't know if that's something that they can switch gears from or start a new path from. And, and you did that. So I really, really admire you being vulnerable like that with us. Yeah, it also really adds a lot of layers and complexities and intricacies to your writing and to your work as well. Like mm -hmm. knowing more about you, I feel like you know, now listening to your shows or watching your, you know, your content or something, I'm like, I know, I know so much about this person. So I know why this is so important. You know, this topic might be so important, et cetera. So it's that part of it is definitely, we're, we're so grateful for that too. But let's, let's definitely stay connected. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Do you, you, maybe, if you think maybe. you can get rid of us, you're wrong. Like, <laughs> you are <we're>... incorrect. <laughs> I love that. I love that. The chat room is hosted by me, Nikki Menon, and me, Kirtana Sastri, in partnership with Brown Girl Magazine. Balavi Sastri is our consulting producer. All podcast artwork is created by Ashwarya Sukesh, and opening music is by Sridhar Bamnipati. Special thanks to Thrisha Sukujawalia. Please subscribe to the chat room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. Thanks for tuning in.